Tobin and Leroy. Leroy Horde was one of the baddest men. Nah, dude, they call me the kangaroo. Tobin and Leroy, ready to deploy. Had to hit her with a little journalism, but that was a decoy. Better ask about me, boy. Okay, Leroy and Tobin, host of the showman. Still silly songs with the show in. Till then, it's half moon open. Sometimes cold takes like a snowman. No proof, I'm a liar about a molding. No proof. Like I always wanted him, I never hated him, I never traded him, and if I did, I never ever traded again. What? What is in store? Like under the seat of the driver's side floor. It's Gucci's galore. So many more from six in the Mars. Never a bar. Man, if I'm honest, the damage is done. Silly sauce on unlimited funds. Join us on Twitch for unlimited fun. J Fig and Marcos, you with it or what? Toby Tobin, <laughs> two shit who Tobin is. Ah, thanks, little dog. <laughs> What's going on, Dono? And for Tobin, Leroy, Leroy, who broke? Was it your tibia or your fibula that you broke? My, my fibula. See, Marcos, Marcos lied to me twice yesterday. So not only did Marcos tell me you weren't gonna be here, which was clearly a lie, because here you <laughs> are. He also told me you broke your tibia. So that yeah, was. Well if if it was my tibia that's the bone that that carries most of the weight so i would be oh, no. i would have been out a lot sooner i don't, um, I don't think they're lies i think they're so, more like you know untruths fibia yeah. fibulas <laughs> so here's what happened in case everybody's wondering here's what happened so about three or four weeks ago um my knee got a little stiff and so i was like nah, you know all right maybe it's you know that time because i had knee problems you know maybe it's time to get it checked out so after about a week you know i was able to get in the jacuzzi loosen up stretch or whatever felt some pain but i was able to just move on about my day i was going to work i was walking fine right and um and so I made an appointment. The appointment, of course, because it's a doctor visit, was set for February 20th. <laughs> right. Shit. But at the time, it was no big deal because I was just, you know, a little, not even hurting, just stiff more than anything. Okay. As time went on, it started hurting a little bit more. And I start, you know, I was still able to loosen up, but it really, you know, after I was done and settled down for the day, it would, it would start hurting. Then this last weekend, you know, it started hurting a little bit more. And then Sunday, I, I went golfing. I came home. I iced up, stretched a little bit. And then I got up Monday. And I was like, wow, this really hurts. Right? And I said, well, let me call the doctor, see if I can see get in earlier. They put me on the list. Nothing. Ooh. So Monday, I go to sleep i get up tuesday now i can't walk oh jesus i literally am walking like you know so now my hip and my back are hurting because i'm walking all crazy and i'm like i'm gonna go to the hospital don't go to the hospital they're not gonna be able to treat you there i'm like if you can't walk it is an emergency yeah so everybody talked me out of it Big Spoon, the person I know over at Cleveland Clinic, said, we're packed in the emergency room. It's going to take forever. I'm like, but I can't walk. Oh, my God. So Wednesday, I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, right? I can't walk. 
So I'm using my golf umbrella as a crutch. I go to the emergency room. I'm the only one there, right? I go in the back. Now, the problem is with the emergency room, you can go in the back right away, but if something more serious comes yeah, in- They're not going to see you right away. Right. So, yeah. so I was there for a minute, but I didn't care. So I got an x-ray. Then they did a CT scan. So I, I get in, I'm going to the back and I'm using this. I don't have crutches. So I got this golf umbrella <laughs> that I'm walking with and it slips. So guess what they put around my wrist? Fall risk. Uh, like, <laughs> like, like you're, like, you're the first person under 90 to have fall risk. on your Exactly. <laughs> so I go in yeah. they do the CT scan. They say, uh, um, did you do anything? Why? They go, because your fibula's fractured. Oh my God. And I'm like, what? All right. I said, I, I said, they said, do you think you know what's wrong? I said, I think a, a bone or something is because I could touch it and it didn't hurt. Like I could mm. touch. So it meant it had to be far away from where I was touching. Right. But my leg was swelled up, you know, cause that's your body's natural reaction to protect itself. So then I went back, uh, I had to go back Wednesday, went back Wednesday and they got me up to the doctor and, uh, and then, uh, I got an MRI and then, you know, they, they gave me all the different, you know, procedures that can be done to fix it. But, um, it's, it's hard because the first thing they ask you is, is how did you do it? I don't know. Like, I really don't know. And so that's why it became, you know, you know, they say it might be more of a stress fracture thing because of a procedure I had years ago. Dang. And so I'm just like, but they gave me some medication. And here's when you know how strong your medication is. <laughs> when they give you a medication and then give you another medication... <laughs> In case it tears up your stomach. Oh, no. Right. So they gave me a antacid and this medication. And uh, uh, after like two, three days on the crutches, um, it's starting to, you know, the swelling's going down and I'm on this medication. And, you know, I'll see, I get MRI Tuesday, but I'll wow. see them. But I yeah. never, like, I don't, I'm not the guy that complains about being hurt, right? Like it it just, everybody's got something, you know? Sure. So it's not that big of a deal. Plus your, your pain tolerance, I'm sure, is higher than the uh, than the average Joe given right. your background. And I was telling, I was telling my wife, I said, how often do I complain about being hurt? She says, never, you walk around here and all kind of stuff, you know? You go to the doctor and come back and you, you gotta have surgery and I never even knew you were that hurt. And I said, so the fact that I'm telling you that I'm in pain, that has to mean something, right? Yeah. So that's that's just basically what I still don't know how I did it. Uh, it's uh, I was thinking of it like, man, if it's the same thing, Tiger, he he played uh, a whole week on that leg and won the U.S. Open. I can't go and have a little fun on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> That's what I was, and I'm riding around in a cart, you know? So I, I was not thinking Wow, like my leg was broken. Yeah. Jeez. So, 
we'll see. But you know, I feel a lot better. Um, and uh, I'm still on crutches, but I'm on I'm on a crutch. You know, I need my hand to carry me some snacks. I ain't gonna right. lie. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have one hand free. Well, let's get into some headlines with Marcos. And Marcos, if your first head, not to spoil it, but if your first headline doesn't involve yeah. Josh Gaddis getting canned, I'm gonna drive up there and fight you. So give us the headlines. All right. Well, I guess I'll cancel this peewee football headline I have. <laughs> <laughs> that where, that's where he may be coaching next year. Uh, these headlines are brought to you by the new Palmetto Ford Truck Super Center. Why buy your truck at a car store? Palmetto Ford. We know trucks. And just mentioned right now by probably the person that follows the Hurricanes, the closest Alex yep. Dono there. The Miami Hurricanes fire offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis after only one season. Can yeah, I ask I you a question about this, though? Please. With the talent that they had offensively, how much better should they have been? Yeah, he, he, here's the thing. Um, there, there, there are there are more layers to this. And okay, like I, I definitely think that his play calling can be scrutinized. Um, you know, he's wearing the scarlet letter for 19 points per game. But I agree with you, Leroy. Just when it comes to a pure production standpoint, Miami's offensive line was decimated last year by injury. Um, you know, it didn't help losing Tyler Van Dyke to injury about two thirds the way through the season. Uh, there were there were the deck was stacked against him at the same time. I'm telling you, with Josh Gaddis getting let go, there were issues with his uh, with, with his relationships with his players and with fellow coaches. Um, you know, I heard from um, from a source close to Frank Ponce, the quarterbacks coach who left about a week and a half ago, that apparently there was basically like an iron curtain between the two of them that Gaddis never sought his input. Uh, and and Gaddis was not recruiting well. Like everybody on the staff was carrying their weight. The running backs coach was landing big time running backs, tight ends coach, uh, you know, offensive line coaching. Clearly, uh, they they landed uh, the best offensive line class arguably in the entire country. Uh, and uh -huh. Gaddis wasn't recruiting a lick. So uh, honestly, like people can bring up some fair arguments about how bad Miami's offensive personnel was last year uh maybe he's taking more blame for that than he should but at the same time mm -hmm. I think there were other issues in the building and with his recruiting okay because if you're not carrying your weight in recruiting and you work for a guy like Mario Cristobal who is obsessive obsessed about with recruiting, recruiting. Correct. you're not long for the staff like it just you know right I, I can and, see and that also, I, I and also Leroy the, the fact that Mario actually fired him instead of like his Gat Gattis for the last couple of weeks has been reportedly looking for other jobs and i'm sure they would have loved for him to get another job because that eases the buyout that you would have to pay right, right so the right. fact that they finally decided to fire him today tells me they must have felt the situation was untenable well the the recruiting aspect of it you you don't what people don't realize if you're not if you don't follow college football that it goes recruiting and then coaching. You can be an average coach and a great recruiter and you'll get a job anywhere. If you are a great coach and a poor recruiter, that doesn't necessarily guarantee you a job simply right. because you're not bringing in any of the talent to coach or to be in your system. And so I under I understand that and I didn't I was not aware of that. I just hate 
you know, and this is not just in college, this is everywhere. Sometimes head coaches do things like this to avoid the heat that they're getting for having a poor season. That's true. I, I remember and, Larry Coker doing that years ago. Right. He had a and, poor and, season. He fired like four people off his staff. Right. And everybody yeah. and 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 so we automatically assume when this happens, that is the reason why they were bad last year. And and I think we all need to understand that. As of right now, and it's getting better, we knew it was going to be a struggle, but we didn't know that this team was that talent deficient as far as I've never seen a Miami team with no speed anywhere, right? And, yeah. and so if you have an offensive coach and you need to bring in speed and your coordinator is not bringing in anybody, that could be a problem. Because guess what? Now you have to look at how are the other coaches going to react to your offensive coordinator when they're out busting their ass trying to improve the talent and he's not. Now you mm -hmm. want him, you want to go into a meeting room and listen to that. So there's a bigger picture here that I think a lot of people aren't aware of when it comes to college football. I, I mean, you look at some guys. Um, who's the linebacker coach? Is it at Florida now? Uh, Randy Shannon. R Randy Florida, Shannon. Florida State. Yeah. Florida State. Randy yeah. Shannon. Who's the, uh, the the? Is he down here now? The defensive coordinator. Uh, well, Miami's linebacker coach now is Charlie Strong. That may be who you're thinking. That's of. what I'm talking about. Charlie oh, okay. Strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie, Charlie Strong, Strong yeah. is known as one of the better recruiters in the country. Yeah. So. You put him on your staff if just for that reason, and it doesn't really matter who he's coaching. When he was hired, wherever he was hired, one of the things that they first mentioned about Charlie Strong, great recruiter. Mario Cristobal, great recruiter. There are guys that have jobs consistently in college football because of the talent they can bring in. And, and that can't go uh, unnoticed or overlooked simply, you know, because of the results of what's going on. Yeah. So I, I, I understand it a little bit more now. I just don't want people to think, and here's what happens. Now that guys is gone, this offense is going to roll. Right. You understand yeah. what I'm no, saying? You're, you're spot on. I actually, right before we got on, I, I had, I did an emergency Locked on Kane's episode, and I said the exact same thing that th this is not an automatic addition by subtraction, right? right? Because it's easy to fire somebody, but you've also got to replace them with somebody who does a better job, who is a better recruiter, who can build better relationships. And so, yes, and at the, the, some the, point, the firing once, is only step one. And at some point, once you get all this recruiting and once you get all this talent, now we're going to pay attention to your coaching ability. Now we're going to pay attention to your play calling. Now we're going to pay attention to your scheme. And so it's a natural order. Uh, but I think at this moment for this team and, and this um, university, the most important thing right now is to get talent on campus. Amen.
Amen to that. Any other uh, headlines, Marcos? And just so people know, well, obviously we'll talk about the Josh Gaddis firing at Miami, which became official around 8.30 this morning. Uh, that's when the press release came out, 8.37 a.m. to be exact. Wow, they fired him overnight? Uh, well, you, you know what's fun? Let, let me tell a quick story about that. I think they may have rushed the announcement because last night, a 2024 quarterback recruit who visited Miami spilled the beans. Like, because obviously, uh, you know, that I guess they couldn't like instill it in his mind. Like, by the because they because Mario Cristobal FaceTimed with this quarterback recruit and he told them, We're looking for a new offensive coordinator. We should have one around next week. And he said that in an interview he did with a media outlet, Kane Sport. So, <laughs> and, and that got published. Whoa. And so right. last night, this got published around, I don't know. 7, 8 p.m. last night, this interview got published. And so my, Miami might have seen that. They're like, well, okay, this kid already spilled the beans. We better rush the I, – I don't, I'm, I'm just spitballing here. I don't know right. if that's the case, but I wonder if that may have accelerated the timeline. It could be. Um, I think you do it now. Yeah. So that when you get ready for spring ball, when you get – you know, you, you, you have – you know, you have time to work on these things. I think the best thing that happened to the Canes, and I know people don't want to hear this, is that they didn't play in a bowl game. Yeah. I think and here's right. why. You had too many guys who were leaving, too many coaches were getting shuffled, and to have an extra 10 or 15 practices with guys who weren't going to be there does a disservice to the guys who are going to be there. So now that you didn't play in a bowl game and have those extra practices for nothing, you can get focused on who's going to be here, who you got coming in, and what things you're going to be able to do uh, offensively into the future. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. It's it's. Um, I know I thought before the season – I didn't think they would be as bad as they were, but as the season went on, you start realizing that this ain't about coaching. And that's the unfortunate thing because we made this year about coaching. We always make the hurricanes about coaching. We always make it, oh, we got the talent. They just not coaching them up or they not doing this. And, and I'm going to tell you like this. As long as I have either played against Miami or watched Miami or talked about Miami, this is the, the, the fewest amount of team speed they have ever had, yeah. ever. Not one guy mm -hmm. and, that and you I, say, well, oh, yeah. he's a certified burner. And I appreciate you saying that. And I noticed because because I, I, I talk to as many former players as I can, like well, whether they played at Miami or not, because obviously right. Leroy didn't play at Miami. He did play against Miami. He watches Miami and all former players. They all say similar things. And I think it's a great reminder that players and former players, they just they, they watch the game with a different set of eyes than fans do. Uh, Marcos, real quickly, any other headlines or weather because uh, our our uh, our de facto producer producer Schmidt and Schmolnick reminds us uh, we need to go to break, idiots, pretty soon here. Indeed, today we have uh, two games, two of our teams in action after two days of breaks. All teams took a break these past two days. 
Finally, two of them return to action tonight. The Miami Heat versus the Orlando Magic at 8 p.m. And the Florida Panthers take on the L.A. Kings at 7 p.m. Ooh, I will be working on the Panthers broadcast tonight with uh, with Doug Plagans. Double duty for you, huh? Double duty, double dip today. All right, so we will be back. Another episode of Tobin and Leroy Dono in for Tobin today on AM560 Sports WQAM. All right, I, I guess we're, we're partying today because uh, the Miami Hurricanes made an offensive coordinator change. Yeah. That was the breaking news this morning. Hey, listen, man. I, Marcos, I, yeah. I, I make Miami Hurricanes content every single day, and yeah. I think I may even be underestimating when I say 98% of the Hurricanes fans that I interact with on an hourly basis are thrilled. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. On. For sure, dude. This is a win. After a season yeah. like that, heads got to roll, man. And I didn't see, I didn't see enough yeah. heads rolling. Yeah. And, you know, so, somebody did make a uh, a pretty fair point to me on Twitter, but it's like two, you know, two, two wrongs don't necessarily make a right that I guess like the unfortunate consequence of what's happening here with the offensive coordinator change. Uh, about two hours ago, it was announced that Josh Gaddis has been fired, the offensive coordinator at Miami, no longer. Um, and somebody pointed out, well, for for Tyler Van Dyke, this is going to be his third offensive coordinator in three years. No question. That's not an ideal situation, right? It sucks. Okay. Like I, I remember um, maybe this was one of the reasons why for those who are old enough to, uh, to remember Kyle Wright Ooh. back in the early 2000s, yeah. you know, who was one of the highest rated Miami Hurricanes quarterback recruits ever. This Mr. California football five-star quarterback. Yep. He did nothing at Miami and nope. he had like, I think three or four different offensive coordinators in four years. And, you know, I don't think that was the only reason why he did nothing. I think yeah. a lot of that was, you know, the man in the mirror for him, but yeah, it's, it's never an ideal situation to go through so many offensive coordinators, but at the same time, it's like, if the person you have in that job uh, is clearly not right for it, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily make things better to keep a guy around just for the sake of keeping him around. Like continuity is not only the answer. Right. And I think obviously for, for, uh, for Tyler Van Dyke, it would have been great if Rhett Lashley, who was his first offensive coordinator, who he really meshed with, if he had stuck around, but it's not like they, they fired him. I mean, I don't know if Mario would have kept him on or not, but before, uh, before Manny Diaz was ever fired, Rhett Lashley already left on his own to go be the head coach at SMU. So that wasn't, you know, that wasn't really a Miami move. That was uh, that was a, a Lashley move. The Gaddis thing clearly didn't work out. So I would just hope that whoever they bring in, uh, and Miami has vacancies at not only at offensive coordinator, also at wide receivers coach, because Josh Gaddis was that as well. And they've got an open quarterback coaching job because the quarterbacks coach left last week. I think they'll probably, Marcos, they'll probably, whoever the offensive coordinator is, will probably also be the quarterback's coach. That's usually the way it goes down. And then they'll find somebody else to be the wide receiver's coach. So hopefully whoever they get as the new OC and quarterback's coach is someone who can mesh and hit the ground running with Tyler Van Dyke and someone who can, like, you know, to an extent, take Van Dyke's input and make him comfortable, like run plays, design plays and call plays to make your quarterback comfortable because I think it took way too long last year for Van Dyke to get comfortable and when he was finally looking comfortable like North Carolina game Virginia Tech game then he gets injured in the Duke game 
And so it just, you know, you had like two games of comfort from Van Dyke before he was hurt for the rest of the year. So they need to find somebody in there that can make Tyler Van Dyke more comfortable. And hopefully, even though he's going to have his third OC in three years, that it's not going to be as clunky as some people think it's going to be. Yeah, the uh, three OCs in three years, we call that the Ryan Tannehill special, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. Uh, hopefully it doesn't breed that kind of play, you know, where it's like good but not good enough and whatever the case yeah. may be. But like you said, it, you know, I can understand keeping a coordinator for consistency if it was something like uh, that the quarterback was comfortable with. But just like all year, Tyler Van Dyke or the entire offense in general, I understand there's a lack of talent there, but they just didn't look comfortable. It didn't look like anything that at no point anyone was confident in. Not me, not the coaching staff, and no one on the field, to be honest. And I understand injuries play into that and, you know, this and that. But I don't know. I, I think this is the right move. Like you said, there's no point in keeping him just for consistency. If he wasn't good enough, he wasn't good enough. And, right. I mean, Michigan was not harmed by his departure. They seem to be doing just fine. So I'm not sure how much of a role he had in that when he was over in Michigan. So maybe he sucks. Well, he just got lucky the difference- with the situation. The difference between here and Michigan is, is before Goddess even got there, how football was played was already set. Mm. So when Harbaugh brought him in, he was like, this is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. You design, design something, you know, with your offensive scheme that accomplishes this. Okay, that's how that went. Michigan's a run-first team. Right, their quarterback has never been as touted as somebody like a Van Dyke or you know these guys. So different situation. When he comes here, he's trying to find an offense that works. Right. Big difference. And you're trying to take the tools that you have and get the most out of it. Now, those tools, you have questions. So you're all you spend the whole year searching. What can I do to get the most out of these players? And that's kind of where where the difference is. So you could clear you could say that oh he's not a good coach because he fell off or whatever. But there's a difference in going into a situation that's already established and designing something to continue that versus trying to find something and figure out as a new coaching staff how we're going to do things. That's and an I think that, that's, a, that's a big difference. The other thing is, is that now's the perfect time if you're going to do something like that because you're going to have 25, 30 new players and, and maybe 15 to 20 of those guys that he coached won't be there either. Right. But keep in mind, whoever your next offensive coordinator is, is going to go through the same process. He's going to be, he's not going to be able to just bring what he did somewhere else with the talent he had somewhere else. He's going to have to find an offense that fits this talent. Right. And that is the hardest thing for any coach. Let me ask you something, Leroy. We were talking about this, uh, and I and I, everyone needs to understand Leroy's moving around a little bit more slowly today. <laughs> so, so someone uh, pointed out in the, I think it was Doctor Toboggan in the chat pointed out, "Hey, Leroy's a fall risk. We better check on him. He didn't fall." <laughs> but okay, so you know when when you're, you you mentioned Tyler Van Dyke, um, how much of a factor is it for the development of college quarterback that this is going to mm-hmm. be his third offensive coordinator in three years? 
it it matters, but it matters from this standpoint is that his production dropped when the talent dropped. And you can be a good quarterback. We've seen it before. I mean, Josh Allen wasn't was like the fourth or fifth best quarterback in his own division. He went in the first round. And for the first couple of years in Buffalo, they were saying it was a terrible pick. In comes Stephon Diggs, and all of a sudden, Josh Allen is elite. Let's not, let's not take a player and 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 not include all the players that he's playing with. You got to have talent at wide receiver, at tight end, at running back for a quarterback to optimize his his talent. If you don't have anybody who consistently gets separation or an offense design that gets people open, then your quarterback is throwing in a lot of tight windows. When you throw in the tight windows, you're hoping that your receiver is an excellent catcher of the football because he's always going to have somebody draped around him or over him. So there's a lot of things that go into, you know, just evaluating a quarterback. You know, one of the things that people talk about with Patrick Mahomes is, oh, boy, now that Tyreek Hill's gone, he's going to struggle. Well, guess what? He still has Travis Kelsey. Uh, Kelsey? Yep. And, and, and all those other receivers, they're making plays because of Kelsey. So they just moved it over to another stud and designed things a little bit different because they don't have somebody that you can just launch it down the field and and throw it over the top of the defense. So now how do you do it? You threaten each different level of the defense. You got guys running across the field. You got a tight end man that control in the middle of the field. And now you got open receivers where, again, Patrick Mahomes throws it to a lot of open guys. You ever noticed that? And we never yeah. have to question his accuracy simply because guys are open. So, but you got to have talent to be able to do that. You got to threaten. Somebody has to be a threat on the other side of the ball. And right now it's Travis Kelsey. He is, he is, you know, when you talk about Kansas City, you know, they say, how are you going to stop this tight end? Meanwhile, Juju Smith-Schuster, he catches balls. You got uh, who's the uh, other guy on the on the other side catching balls. So it it's complementary. You need to have a stud at one of the different levels of of the field, whether it's a deep threat, whether it's the middle of the field, whether it's outside with route running and stuff like that, and that'll make that'll bring out the best in your quarterback. You know, you look at you look at at, at Tua now. Mm-hmm. Okay, look at Tua. Tua is remarkable, and he's able to get rid of the ball very quickly and be accurate with that talent. And these guys make plays. 
We're going to have 15 minutes of heat coming up. Heat are back in action tonight after a couple days off, as Marcos mentioned. We'll talk a little heat magic, and we'll talk about the recent dominance from Bam Adebayo when we come back. You're listening to the Tobin and Leroy Show. Dono in for Tobin on AM560 Sports WQAM. This is 15 minutes of your Miami. Celebrating 85 years of service to our community. Then, now, forever. Broward Health. Miami Heat are eight-point favorites tonight against the Orlando Magic. But Leroy and Dono filling in for Tobin, by the way. Leroy, before we talk about the game tonight, see if Miami can follow up on you know, an impressive victory against Boston earlier this week. Uh, I think this is a pretty cool story to get into. Now, unfortunately, this one action does not erase, you know, the thousands of fans throughout NBA arenas that show up to games only to find out that superstars are late scratches, right? I mean, this maintenance thing, it's happening all over the league, including in Miami, and sometimes you pay exorbitant prices for a ticket to show up to see superstars, and those superstars don't always suit up. And so this happened, um, you know, earlier this week when the Heat took on the Boston Celtics. There was a boy in the crowd with a sign that he flew 4,405 miles to see Jimmy Butler play, and he didn't suit up in that game. And, you know, we didn't know until right before the game that Jimmy was experiencing back soreness. So this wasn't something people knew about throughout the day. It turned out this young man and his family flew all the way over from Argentina, apparently, to watch the Miami Heat play. And I thought this was really cool. Like, again, this this one action – does not write all of the uh, the situations around the league, Miami and elsewhere. But, you know, I, I think it's so cool that Jimmy Butler, he found this young man and he he met him at the arena the other night. And, you know, I'm looking at a photo, like Jimmy gave him a tour of the facility. He, they took pictures together. He gave him, you know, memorabilia. So obviously for, for this young fan, thank you. And, and Marcos just, for, for those watching, uh, Marcos just put the photos on the screen. You know, for, for, for this young man, uh, this was probably actually better than actually watching Jimmy Butler play the experience. He, yeah. So I thought this was really cool. It, it was. Um, and kudos to Jimmy Butler. But here's the problem. We have put our teams in a situation where we want them to be ready for the playoffs. And then we complain of the measures they take to be ready for the playoffs. Yeah, true. Um, and 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 times have changed. Like times have changed in baseball with how we use pitchers. Times have changed, you know, in 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 basketball, in that we have deemed January in the playoffs as the most important times to play basketball and you need to be healthy and at your best. Now I will say this, all these things don't necessarily guarantee it, but as an organization, if you invest $40 million in a player, you don't want him have a nagging injury that lasts all the way into the playoffs. You know, that's, that's a fact. So how do you go about it? Uh, I understand as a fan, why you would be upset that you don't get to see your star. But you came to see the Miami Heat. Yeah, true. 
you didn't come to see Jimmy Butler. And, and honestly, and if that, and if yeah, and yeah. if you came to see Jimmy Butler, why weren't you a um a a 76ers fan or why weren't you a uh Timberwolves fan or why weren't you a Chicago Bulls fan? Mm. See, I can understand if you say that about LeBron. I could understand if you say that about those stars, Giannis or somebody like that, right? Jimmy Butler's a star that's played for many different teams, but people haven't gone and said, ooh, I'm coming to the States to see Jimmy Butler wherever he plays. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? You came over here because you're a Miami Heat's fan, and Jimmy Butler is your favorite player. Uh, Big difference. That's true. That's true. Jimmy Butler is your favorite Heat player. Well, I, I definitely think like the the mentality of fans has changed because like obviously when, when I when I was growing up, of course there were superstars. Like I grew up in the era of Michael. But they played Jordan. all eighty two, also. Right, but also like and and like okay, you know when 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 I I guess when I was a kid, you know, because like the Heat didn't have like the Zoe and Hardaway thing was until I was like a little older, like middle school age. You know, like my my favorite player when I was a little kid was uh, was Ronnie Cycli, and I like Glenn Glenn Rice as well. Those were my guys. But it's like, you know, the the rare occasions when I uh, when I went to Heat games, my dad took me to a couple games per season. We weren't season ticket holders or anything like that. It's like I don't know. Like I, I agree with you in a sense, Leroy, that I didn't go to the games. You know, specifically, like if Ronnie Cycli and Glenn Rice were my favorite players, I wasn't going to be crushed if one of those guys didn't play like I, I was there I was there for the experience I was there to go right. see a heat game you know I mean maybe if I had been like following Michael Jordan around the country it would have been different but I do feel like the mentality has changed because now you see more of this I think it's more of a superstar driven league than it was back then and the mentality of a lot of fans has changed because I see people who over the years you know like I've got friends of mine who are not heat fans that just like they follow LeBron wherever he is that like, Oh, they, they were a heat fan when he was here. Then they became Cavs fans and Lakers fans. And like, I've never been about that life, but I I know that there are people out there who follow players like that. Yeah. And, and, and here's, here's the other thing is that um, I think because it's become a thing, people complain about said thing. Yeah. True. Right. It never used to matter. Like, if you were going to a Heat game, and in perfect example, down here, here's the difference between up north and fan base up north and down here. If I ask a friend of mine, do you want to go to a Heat game or do you want to go to a Dolphins game? You know what the first comments out of their mouth is? What? Who are they playing? Oh, uh, yeah. Right? Where, <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, it, I didn't care. Like, where yeah. if I'm up north, and for whatever reason, if I say you want to go to a Browns game or a Cavs game, yes. On the way to the game, who are they playing? Yep. You see what I'm saying? That's right. And and so we've gotten we we've programmed ourselves to make the opponents bigger than our fandom. Right? Like everybody wants to go to the uh, the Heat-Boston game, and if Orlando comes into town, crickets. Not so much, yeah. But if I'm going to a game, I don't care. I want to see the Heat. I want to root for the Heat. I want to get caught up in that NBA atmosphere, you know? 
And 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 so I think that's also that has a lot to do with it. And I don't blame look, I don't blame people for it, but keep in mind if Jimmy Butler plays all 82 games and then he looks terrible in the playoffs because he's exhausted, are you gonna take that smoke? Do you want to be the reason why? Because he didn't sit the three or four or five games to to keep his body fresh. The most important thing is the championship. Right. Okay. The most important thing is, is having your team compete for a championship. It is not to make sure all your stars play on a Thursday in December because they're playing the Lakers Right. And and so we kind of have to understand that they're doing this so that they can be competitive at the end of the year. So the Heat uh, and, and Jimmy has said he is going to play tonight, the Heat hosting the Orlando Magic. Um, it, it's one of these things, Leroy, where it's like, OK, you just and it, even though you know, Boston was a little bit shorthanded last time, Brown didn't play, Tatum did, and he was I don't excellent. care. The Don't, Heat played without no, but I'm I'm just I'm just prefacing this. So you know, right. I, I would say the Heat were missing even more, and they got an impressive win against the top team in the conference. Um, Miami has this habit of playing up and down to the competition. So just Orlando, I'm, I'm a little bit worried. Even though like the Heat should be able to beat Orlando at home comfortably, I feel like this is going to come down to a final possession. It's something about Orlando. Yeah. Yep. Like and 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 I, I don't necessarily agree with the um play down to your opponent thing. I think sometimes and the thing about basketball is the styles in contrast or and they're so different from team to team that sometimes you could come off of a game that's a run and gun game like say with Boston, right? And then come and play against a team who is a slow it down, you know, kind of like Dallas. We're just going dribble, 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 you know, give the ball to their star and make things happen that you get caught into a, a, a lull and you forget how you play basketball because you're getting caught up in the style that the other team plays. And a lot of times the Heat get caught up in that, that if the other team starts shooting threes, then you feel you got to start shooting threes instead of just playing your offense. And and that's, you know, that's one of the issues that happens in not just here, but all basketball, you know? And, and, and it's kind of one of the things that when you get to the playoffs, you don't have to deal with. Um, but, and in fact, when you play back-to-backs against the same team, you, you kind of see more competitive games because they're familiar with how each other play. Um, but a lot of times it's that contrast in in play. What if you play a team whose big is always on the three-point line, like with Boston, yeah. you know, except for Williams, and then you play a team that has a big that only plays in the paint, and now you got to bang bodies. Usually the Heat start off giving up a ton of rebounds, right? It's just it's just the kind of flow of the flow of the season, and and you ha- you kind of have to. You know, one of the things that you hear supposed say, you know, when they go to the sidelines is we got to play our basketball. Don't right. get caught up in what they are doing. Yeah. 
Uh, we got at 11 o'clock hour, big hour Tua coming up next. We're going to have headlines from Marcos coming up. Uh, we are going to have Tommy Tig is going to join us later this hour. And Marcos, we got a little tickle my fancy coming up as well. We definitely do. And I know we're up against it, so I'll make this quick. Before we go to break, I just want to say Felipe's a fraud. I don't know if you guys saw this. Felipe's a fraud. That's all I'm saying. All right. Is that the same kid? Yeah, man. Oh, my God. Don't worry. Okay, I, now, I spent about now, three now hours I yesterday. Now I understand why people were killing me on the text line when I brought him up. Tell you, I hose him down. Oh, wow. wait. So they went, they went on a U.S. tour. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to the uh, Felipe is a Fraud town council wait, wait, meeting. Wait, wait, wait. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, well, listen, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to blame a parent. I'm going to blame a parent uh-huh. on this because it's wait like. A minute. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So they went from Miami mm-hmm. to Golden oh, State. No. Oh, no. Hey, man. Hey, welcome. Dado, welcome. You got got. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, like, it, it, it's such a good scam because, like, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive, and I'm, and I know you are as well, you Leroy and Marcos will be change, soon. The thing is, I'm a dad. Uniforms. I'm a dad, so I, I never want to put a kid out there like that. I'm gonna yeah. blame his parents on this. Like, you th- think this he's is a kid? Doing? Donald, he's this a thirty-year-old is... paid actor, man. <laughs> Use your eyes. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Oh, somebody said. Oh, oh no, that's JFig said that pick came before. He came to Miami. Nah, oh, it's no. neither here nor there. We got to go to break. We're up against it. I this don't know. This is terrible. Like, I, I'm not going to blame the kid. This is bad parenting. It's, it's a like, it, you know, th- this is this is bad parenting <laughs> there. Hour to a... It's a fraud. A ten-year-old fraud. It's it's the parents, man. This is this is awful. Although it's a great idea, I'm going to start I'm going to start using my kid for stuff like this. I wonder how Toby would have felt about. Him wearing a Steph jersey after wearing a, uh, oh no, or before he wearing a Jimmy Butler jersey. Oh. Awful, uh-huh. awful parenting. All right, we're hour two uh, coming your way next year on AM five sixty Sports WQAM. Felipe, don't I if mean, I, I see you outside of wherever Jason Tatum is, I'm gonna break your legs, Felipe. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>